0: Welcome back to podcast with Statsman and AJ, friends. I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario. You can follow me at Statsman22, and you can follow my co-host AJ at scholes 24 based in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. That's very close to Rotowire headquarters over in Madison, Wisconsin. And uh, I hope the sun is shining out there by you, AJ. It is by me, but I almost wrecked myself shoveling snow here for a couple of (laughs) days. But I don't know what it's like by you. But in the post-deadline era of the... Trade period. We are now looking at revamped rosters in a lot of cases, and I thought that that would be a good place for us to start today's show, touching on uh, the player movement and uh, maybe not reviewing each tra- trade per se, but reviewing the movement to and from each team. And uh, there, it's it was it turned out to be a case like a musical chairs. There were a couple of players, like I can think of Eric Carlson, who didn't move. AJ and uh, maybe they were. There were not enough suitors for his services, or maybe the cap was an issue. We'll be also including the cap impact in some of the cases and looking at the draft situations for some of the teams. But uh, what were your overall impressions? Were you surprised at the number of deals that were done a week in advance of the actual deadline date?
1: Yeah, I think that was probably the most surprising thing this year. Uh, not that there weren't some, some moves on deadline day, um, but it was definitely tamer. Uh, most of the big ones, you know, Timo Meyer, Patrick Kane, uh, most of those got resolved earlier uh, in the the you know in the week. So a little bit quieter uh, deadline day itself. But there was still plenty of movement, and there's always you know a handful of these minor trades between you know minor league guys. Uh, you'll get you know a D-man for a forward, or just two guys who aren't working out somewhere, and the teams are like, ah, eh, let's swap these guys see if. Anything sticks here, so um, yeah, you know, you, you got plenty of those still on deadline day. But yeah, I think the most surprising thing for me was how many of these deals had been finalized before we even got to Friday.
0: Yeah, and the the impression that I'm left with too, beyond several teams bolstering their their rosters, is the number of draft picks were thrown around. And I, I wonder if people view the draft capital the way it was viewed in years prior, where it was hard for teams to part with a first round draft pick. But now first, second and thirds were flying around at the deadline and even before. And we look at the the rosters of the clubs and the salary cap charts and they'll, they'll highlight on cap friendly how many draft choices each of the teams have. And some are going to be. Uh, board at the draft table in the com- upcoming years while others are going to be have a, a lot to do. So we'll cover that aspect when we're talking about some of the also-ran teams and uh, inform you of the draft capital that they have achieved with this and previous trades that they've done to try and shed their roster of uh, contracts that they don't think are, they're going to keep around. So without further ado, we're going to change the order of presentation of teams a little bit and we're going to cover by conference we'll start with the Western Conference AJ and I'll lead us off with a look at the Anaheim Ducks and uh, well, we'll qu- I'll quickly cycle through the additions and then the people that have gone out the door so we have Brock McGinn, Nikita Nestorenko, Chase Prisky, Dylan Sakura, Josiah Slavin, and Andre Suster, among the players that they added, only Suster and McGinn with any kind of uh, NHL experience, the rest are more prospects. And then in terms of the draft capital, they acquired a 2024 20, third rounder, 20, th- another 2024 20, third rounder, and 2025 20, fifth rounder at the deadline. And going out the door were prospects Hunter Drew, Max Golod, John Klingberg, a defenseman of note who was one of those... Uh, Players that did find a new home: Dmitry Kulikov, another big hulking defenseman that'll help on the the defensive side of the puck. Austin Strand and then Henry Thrun. So a lot of uh, names, but not too many household variety. And uh, the Ducks find themselves sitting on a whole pile of picks in the next couple of years, indicative of some uh, team that's on the outside hoping to bolster their roster a little bit. And I see, for instance, that they have. They haven't augmented their first round picks, but they do have six second round picks and six third round picks over the next three drafts.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I thought they did some, some pretty good work in there. We had a pretty good idea that Klingberg and Kulikov were going to go. Obviously uh, they were held out of the last few games there uh, before the deadline, but Klingberg was one of those deals that didn't come out until uh, technically after the deadline had passed. It had, of course been filed properly, but we just didn't hear about it till after. So uh, we kind of saw a couple of those coming in Arizona uh, as usual. It's a fire sale there as it always seems to be. Uh, I don't know. I'm looking forward, Paul, seriously to the year that Arizona doesn't sell off everything that's not tied down at a trade deadline. Just, I mean, this team is always just always selling, always rebuilding for the next year. Um, it's got to be really tough for, for that fan base, and we we saw more of more of the same here um, in terms of acquired um, handful of contracts. They they brought in uh, they took on Jacob Vorisek's contract. By all accounts, he is uh, going to be done for his career. Shea Weber already done. Uh, they brought in Michael Kessel uh, Kesselring, who um, is a pretty decent prospect. Connor McKay. Brett Ritchie, uh, which brings us to our first, uh, as I have seen, our first trade in NHL history involving brothers. Yes. As Brett Ritchie uh, goes to Arizona for the departing Nick Ritchie, I have to imagine that they just swapped keys, right? Like, <laughs> hey, uh, here's my place that you were staying, and you know, like we'll just switch places. Um, so yeah, they, of course, they played broker in a couple of deals as well to help with uh, cap concerns. And all that saw them rack up uh, first, third, sixth round pick in 2023, second round pick in 2024, uh, another fifth in 23. Yeah, just a a whole selection of picks. Overall, Arizona, um, you know, next year, not super deep, two in the first, uh, one in the second. Then they've got four in the third round. uh, And that first one of those first round picks is top five protected. So they may not get it this year. Um, But then after that, in 2024 and 2025, they have four second round picks in each of those drafts. Have to imagine if there's somebody they want to get, they could offload a couple of those, move uh, up in the first round or or something like that. In terms of who left, uh, the names of note are going to be, obviously mentioned Nick Ritchie. Uh, Nick Bukestad departed. Jacob Chishram was the big piece. And a little bit of, honestly, uh, in my opinion, Paul, some disappointment there. They had set the price tag at fir- two first-round picks for Chishren. Technically, that could happen if, uh, I believe, if the Senators um, make the Eastern Conference final. Uh, the, a second-round pick they have next year moves into a first. So they could get two firsts out of it, but the base price was less than I think they had asked for. The other big piece to leave, Shane Gossesbear, Bear, who really enjoyed a resurgence in Arizona, um, and he'll get to move to a to contender here uh, in, in Carolina and, and have a, a pretty big impact. They also sent off Can Demon, Deanan, John Gillies, Dyson Mayo, Vili uh, Sar, Sar Yarvo, and Troy Stetcher. Um, so, again, fire sale was on. They took on some contracts. They took on, uh, you know, played a uh, uh, dealer in a couple of these. They were part of the, the Patrick Kane. Uh, move to help uh, facilitate him going to New York, uh, and they racked up some picks that hopefully they won't waste for the first time in organizational history.
0: Well, uh, I ta- <laughs> we talked about two busy teams, but what about Calgary Flames? The team was on the fringe of is on the fringe of playoff contention, I suppose, and they, they're trying to string a few wins together, but they didn't really do much. At the trade deadline, sure, they brought in a couple of fringe players in Dryden Hunt and Troy Stetcher uh, Stetcher defenseman Hunt at forward, and you mentioned Nick Ritchie coming along, too. So they added to some toughness here, but that wasn't really an issue for this club at all. They're one of the toughest teams in the league. Out the door goes brother Brett Ritchie, as you mentioned. Radim Zahorna comes to Toronto in a minor league swap, and then Connor McKay, uh, defenseman, going out the door. But I was expecting Calgary to be a lot more Busy at the trade deadline here, AJ. Wondering if they would try and leverage what they did in the last offseason with the mega trades that they made last year to uh, bolster this squad. They leave themselves with a bit of a bare cupboard in the, in terms of upcoming drafts. Anyway, they've only got five picks in the coming draft next year, so maybe that was an issue that they want to didn't want to rip it down any more than they did. But uh, I, I think they left their fans wanting. At the trade deadline with all the, all the movement around, and they didn't really participate too much in this trade
1: deadline. Well, one team that was again pretty busy selling pretty much anything that wasn't tied down here was the Chicago Blackhawks. I'll take you, take us through what they traded away first. Um, started with Jake McCabe and Sam Lafferty, who have joined your Leafs. They traded Max Dome. Jack Johnson goes back to Colorado. Of course, Patrick Kane, and then even some deeper pieces in Dylan Sakura. Uh, You mentioned Slavin, Dylan Wells, Cooper Zek. Um, They had a couple lower picks that they had to trade away to bring in uh, this haul that they had. And really, um, you know, only a couple names that I think we've really heard from uh, a lot before. Anton Hudobin will join their organization Uh, as of right now. Looks like he'll remain in the minors where he was buried uh, with Dallas as well. Uh, But Hudobin comes in. They got Austin Wagner basically for free um, for future considerations. It was kind of a must. They were pretty much an AHL team. So getting Austin Wagner uh, as an opportunity to just play uh, on this team should be a good addition for them. Nikita Zaitsev comes over. They're going to eat that contract for a, a little bit for them. Unfortunately, they got one more year on it. Uh, so, yeah, they moved a lot of things. They got a number of prospects. I won't run us through them all. A ton of picks came back. Um, I think it's better just to look at where their uh, pick situation is just to start in 2023 alone. They've got two in the first and then four in the second round and then uh, two first round picks in 2024 and in 2025 as well. There's some conditions on those. I believe all three of their next their additional first round picks are top 10 protected. Um, but I will be shocked if the either of the picks they got from the Lightning or the one they got from the Leafs would actually end up being uh, in the top 10. We expect those to be playoff teams for a while. So they could be busy again, you know, two picks in the first round, four in the second next year and what's considered a pretty deep class. Um, They could either just load up, use all six of those picks, really build out the system there, or they could try and move up and see if somebody would be willing to to trade back um, and, and go higher depending on what they find there. So a busy week for uh, for Chicago and a lot of moving pieces there. Um, but they, uh, you know, again, another team that played facilitator. They, uh, you know, uh, helped, uh, you know, move some people around by uh, holding on to uh, some value here. Obviously Patrick Kane this year, they are on the hook for Jake McCabe for two more years beyond this season, as he'll be uh, playing for your Leafs there, Paul. So, uh, that's a uh, you know maybe a tough pill to swallow a little bit when you consider they've got some buyout, some recapture penalty beyond this season, so they've got a pretty good chunk of dead cap beyond uh, just this year.
0: Yeah, but I'm going to tell you that I think they did a lot of good business with all the picks that they acquired, adding to their draft uh, charts, and they'll be their scouts be busy with a lot of picks in the next few years. And uh, in my opinion, a rebuild like this is kind of textbook for getting it done in a scorched earth variety uh, a way, uh, rather, where you you really cut this thing down to the bone and you start to build a scratch, but they can look at the review and say, the last iteration of the hawks uh, turned into a pretty much the first, post-cap dynasty. So they're hoping for a repeat with all the draft capital that they have. The team that is next up in our analysis, the Colorado Avalanche, might be in the middle of a dynasty-type run. And that's why you don't didn't see a lot of movement uh, at the trade deadline. But I like the, the business that they did conduct. They added a third-line center in Lars Eller to stretch this roster where in years past, AJ, we were hard-pressed to come up with who would be the second-line center. Well, J.T. Comfer has emerged in that role, and now they've got a third guy with some veteran experience, playoff experience as well, up front. So I like their look at center ice filling a need that I thought was a rather maybe the biggest one that they had. And then adding Jack Johnson, a guy that you know a little bit about from his time with Pitt, he has been with Colorado in the past as well and they know what they're getting here in a very strong defensive defenseman type, so augmenting their depth on the blue line with a physical presence there. Then adding a third goalie to the mix in Keith Kincaid, more goalie insurance than anything else. I think they're going to ride with the guy that's caught fire of late in the nets there and, uh, and run with him. Alex Giorgio has really separated himself for any contenders. Pablo Francis in and out of the lineup, much of the season it's looking like he's out again for this club. So no doubt that they're going to pin their hopes in nets on Georgiev going forward. But I like the pieces that added to the mix. And you can see when we talk about the draft situation for the next few years, that can some contending teams have really uh, traded away a lot of assets. The, the, Avalanche have held on to their first round picks in each of the next three years, oddly enough, uh, with all the moves they made in the last couple of seasons. But the second and third rounds, they'll be rather quiet. They haven't got any second round picks for the next three years and only one third rounder uh, in 2025 beyond this season. So they have stripped away some of their prime draft capital, but at least they kept the first rounders intact. And they still look poised for a long, long run in these playoffs to kind of defend, try and defend their Stanley Cup that they won last year.
1: Well, the Dallas Stars weren't overly busy at the deadline here, but they'd made, I think, some pretty key additions. They got uh, Evgeny Dadonov in. Uh, he carries a pretty big cap hit of, uh, of $5 million, but he can be, I think, a, a crucial piece for them. A nice addition. Uh, they've got him on a third line right now with Wyatt Johnson and Jamie Benn. And then they also brought in Max Dome, who they are going to put it center, second line center right now. Mason Marchman and Tyler Sagan, his partners. Uh, Dome, uh, definitely a more um, flexible option, too. He could also play winger. They got some prospects back Scott Reedy, Dylan Wells, and really all they had to give up. Anton Hudobin, as I said, had been buried in the minors. So, really, that deal was about shedding uh, his cap hit. Dennis Gurianoff is a piece that goes the other way. Jacob Pedersen, and then a 2025 second round pick. So they didn't have to give up a ton. Uh, I think it was, uh, as you kind of said, for, for one of your other teams there, some some good pieces of business here. Not a ton to really hurt uh, the bottom line, whether into the future or beyond. I think some nice just additions. I like the pickup of Max Dome, even if they don't end up uh, bringing him in. And, uh, yeah, Dadnoff, I, I mentioned the big cap hit, but it's just for this year and actually uh, Montreal retained half of that salary as well. So they won't be on the hook. Uh, You know, they're getting him at 2.5 million, which I think is a lot more reasonable um, for, for what his production has been lately. So I think some, some good just minor tweaks to a Dallas team that's, you know, in a playoff spot should be uh, easily in the mix going to contend for that top spot in the central. They've got it right now. They just have to hold off Minnesota and Winnipeg. Uh, So I don't think they needed a lot of changes. I wonder if Edmonton did enough, A.J., when you consider that they
0: certainly added a top defensive defenseman in Matthias Eckholm to the mix. The towering blue liner will be uh, a bit of a breath of fresh air for Darnell Nurse, who was pretty much the only two-way capable uh, defender of note here. Uh, they shipped out Tyson Berry, who was a great offensive defenseman, but a real red flag in his own defensive end. In addition, they also added Nick Usted, another big physical center when he sets his mind to it uh he's six foot six in stature well over 200 pounds but not noted for throwing his weight around uh regularly and that's been a bit of a knock on him for me for a while he has some fit, some scoring ability too but I think on this club he'll be mired in a bottom six roll and be counted on for the odd puck going into that uh but his, his value is if he ramps up the physical side of his game, that's where I see value there. I really don't think they did enough on the defensive side of the puck, though, partner, because as I say, they're still uh, a team that uh, is known for the offense that they generate, leading top two leading scorers in the league in tow. But uh, when it comes to the defensive side of the puck, they're nowhere near the top of the standings. And I think that's going to be exposed in another playoff run that falls short and uh, I'm I'm glad that they finally pulled the plug on the Jesse Pulleyarvey situation. This guy was another uh, of their high draft picks, but one that didn't really pan out over the years. And hopefully, his new his new lease on life will will be more rewarding than his time in Edmonton, where he was an abject failure. Really, when you when you look at the body of work here, and uh, I look at the draft capital situation, this is a team that over the next four three years will be missing half of their picks in the first four rounds. So they really mortgaged some of their future to try and pad this, uh, pad the, the team's quality of, of uh, skaters. And, and uh, I don't think they did enough. I I, I think they're they're found wanting and uh, the GM has some, some work to do beyond this season to, uh, to make this thing continue to be a competitive environment for a team that, that is, got a lot of the top skill players in hockey, but I just keep coming back to they haven't really solved the riddle of a rather inept defensive structure.
1: Well, Los Angeles, I think, is going to be best looked at for, uh, you know, to be blunt, having done Jonathan Quick dirty in this one, um, trading him to Columbus. They give up a first-round pick to trade away uh, Jonathan Quick, which was a bit of a surprise to me. They bring back, I like the addition of Vladislav Gavrikov. I think that'll help their blue line. I'm not real sold on them bringing back Jonas Corpusalo especially, again, having given up that, that first-round pick here. I mean, you're talking about a guy, you look at pretty much every goaltender category um, in Kings history. Games played by a goalie, first place, wins 370, which is twice as many as the next closest person on this team saves, save percentage, shutouts, minutes. I mean, you find a goalie category for the Kings. uh, It's pretty much held by Jonathan Quick, two-time Stanley Cup champion with them as well. Uh, I just think it was a very uh, bad move by them uh, to to move him the way they did, by all accounts. It it was pretty impersonable. impersonable. Um, They also – Talked about uh, the locker room not being real thrilled about the move. Obviously, they're professionals. They'll get past it. They'll get over it. But I'm, I'm definitely surprised to see Jonathan Quick going out the door and having to give up a first-round pick to, to move him and a third-round pick, actually. So they give up two picks, Jonathan Quick, um, to Corpusalo and, and Gavrikov. And so I, I don't think their goalie room is better. I think it's significantly worse corpus allo for quick even if quick has dropped off a little bit even if phoenix Copley's your starter moving forward i just don't think it was the right move um yes you've shored up the blue the blue line a little bit with a nice addition to gavrikov but uh overall i don't think it was the right choice outside of that one they also had a couple minor tweaks zach McAwain, eric portillo nate schar they traded away frederick Allard, brendan lemieux austin wagner as i said uh They gave up first uh, first round pick, third round pick, uh, another third round in 2024. Um, Overall, I don't, I'm gonna say, I don't think the Kings are better than they were before. Um, I don't think fixing the blue line comes at the cost of hurting your your net mining there. Fortunately for Jonathan Quick, we'll touch on this a little bit later, but fortunately for him, uh, improvements, uh, things improved very quickly, and his stint in Columbus was short lived. Uh, We'll touch on that in a bit, though.
0: Yeah, it could be a first-round matchup between his old team and his new team. Wouldn't that be something that would irk the uh, Los Angeles faithful and uh, just throw fire on that matchup, which should be a hot one in any case. Minnesota Wild. this is a team that's uh, in contention, and the moves that they made reflect that. They added three quality veterans, in my opinion. John Klingberg, a guy who toiled in anonymity in Anaheim, has got to be happy as heck to be out of there and on a on a better club and, and factoring in with maybe a power play quarterback role in, in the upcoming weeks that should suit him and his skill set just fine. So he's got to be excited. Ditto for Marcus Johansson and Gustav Neifus, two guys that have been top six forwards elsewhere just improving the depth of uh, the forward ranks in Minnesota. And really, the only sacrifice they made was seeing Jordan Greenway go out the door the other way. The rest of the pieces are uh, fading veteran like Andre Suster and some late round draft capital. But on the whole, Minnesota looks pretty good in terms of what they acquired. And then the fact that they didn't really strip their draft capital, for the next two year, three years, in fact, the first two rounds, they have got seven picks instead of the usual six allotment, missing a couple of picks in the third and fourth round in the in those that three-year period too might uh, might be something they can fix up in coming years. But uh, I like what Minnesota did in terms of adding the quality and bolstering the team, where I think there were some needs. And uh, consider now on that blue line, they've got Jared Spurgeon, Matt Dumba, John Klingberg. Uh, That's three very capable offensive puck movers, and they augment them with defensive specialist John Merrill, uh, veteran Alex Kolagoski, and Jacob Middleton, a hard rock a physical guy that will play with Spurgeon on that top bearing, So I like what they've done. And they've uncovered a gem, And looks like, in Philip Gustafson, who's learning. He's probably sitting next to Marc-Andre Fleury and picking his brain every day because you can see that Gustafsson has really settled in, as a, and they've got a really solid one-two punch in the nets there too. So all things are looking on in a positive way for Minnesota right now. And uh, they, they helped that cause with a pretty solid work at the trade deadline.
1: Over in Nashville, David Poley put on a clinic, an absolute clinic of how you run the trade deadline. I think there's no question about that. Uh, he announces that he's going to be done after this year. Barry Trotz cannot blame anybody ahead of him if he doesn't make things work in Nashville after this, because they loaded him up with prospects and picks. Um, they traded away uh, Matias Eckholm, who, Paul, you were talking about that with Edmonton. I actually think that was one of the best additions of almost any team at the trade deadline here. The the thing that Edmonton needs more than anything is to stop goals. They don't need another goal scorer. They need somebody who can stop goals. I think Matias Eckholm is a great addition there. Uh, they trade away Michael Granlin. I will get into my pure rant on that trade a little bit later when we talk about Pittsburgh but they fleece the Penguins on that one. And that doesn't even compare to what they had Tanner Zeno you know, uh, comes in for just a, a wealth of picks from Tampa. I think a lot of people scratch their head at that one. They trade away Nino Niederreiter, got some picks back from that. All told, um, I believe it's uh, eight picks that they brought in uh, at this deadline. They got a couple of prospects, a couple of players who could use a new location. Rasmus Asplen wasn't playing. Uh, in Buffalo, so he comes in and should get a fresh start. Tyson Berry, certainly a capable player. Calfoot as well. I like both those additions to their blue line. This is a team that knows how to coach up blue liners. So if there are any deficiencies in either of their games, I think both those guys will get better um, for, for being on this team. But like I said, I think Nashville, if there's one team that was sellers that you could say won uh, the NHL trade deadline, it absolutely has to be Nashville. They are set. They've got four picks uh, in the first two rounds next year. They've got three second round picks in 2024. Uh, They just loaded up here uh, and set, like I said, they set it up for uh, Barry Trotz to move into a GM role for the first time and really uh, thrive.
0: Well, and in San Jose, they they got out from underneath a salary cap issue with moving Timo Meyer out. That was the biggest name that left the organization. And so, You can see they're planning for the future and trying to make their salary cap something a little bit more manageable. Imagine they would have felt a lot better if they could have done the same thing with Eric Carlson's contract. But in the meantime, it's not too bad to have a a guy who's on a hundred point pace in your roster from the blue line here. So there is that bit of good news. But uh, I kind of like what they did in terms of finding young talent that they could bring in to augment some of the high priced veterans that they have on this squad looking for andreas johnson to really find his niche here too he i've seen enough of him bouncing around the leaf organization the minors he did well he was a calder cup mvp when they did win the ahl championship a few years ago but really hasn't been able to parlay that into success in the nhl he's going to get his best chance uh, to get top six minutes here going forward he's debuted for a while there, but they're moving things around with auditions left and right. Fabian Zetterlund is another guy that came in and fits the same mold. They also added a, a few high uh, picks, a couple of first and second rounder. And this year they have 12 draft picks in the first round, first uh, in the next year's draft, AJ. And I wonder if they're going to parlay maybe a couple of, maybe a draft pick or, or two to further move out another couple of uh, big contracts there to really set a rebuild in motion but in the meantime, I don't. Uh, I don't think you can expect this team to be a contender for a while. They've got some work to do, and they they're facing an uphill climb against some teams that are uh, loaded for bear, and they will be for a while in this division. So uh, I think a quiet rebuild in San Jose is in order, and uh, shedding. Maybe another big contract is going to be part and parcel of that process. It remains to be seen who that player would be, but I think the odds are still on Carlson being that that player that might see a, a future somewhere else, maybe this off season.
1: Well, Seattle didn't make any trades. So Paul, we can move on to the next team. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, look, this team is kind of stuck, uh, stuck in the middle, not because of their current season, but just because of where they are as a franchise. They're a young team. They need picks, so they can't necessarily be heavy buyers at the deadline. Um, They've currently got three second-round picks and a first-round pick this upcoming year. Again, expected to be a pretty deep class, so you don't want them trading things away. But they're sitting third in the Pacific, so they're not going to be sellers. Um, They're in a playoff spot. They need to be in a playoff spot. So I'm not surprised that this team just said, well, this is what we got. Uh, We're doing okay. This is what we're going to roll with because we're not going to mortgage our future this early in the franchise um, where, you know, we need picks to develop our, our prospect system. And, uh, you know, but we're also not going to be sellers because we're in a playoff spot. So they, they did the best thing they could, I think, and just did nothing. I, I think that was a perfectly good move by Seattle just not to get involved.
0: Well, and the St. Louis Blues are one of those teams that jumped out ahead of the trade deadline and they made a deal to, with the Maple Leafs, uh, sending Ryan O'Reilly out the door and Sam Lafferty alongside uh, not Sam Lafferty, but they add, they sent him along out the door and uh, they picked up uh, draft capital from the Maple Leafs. And uh, in addition to that, they moved out Ivan Barbashev most recently, two of their former top six forwards out the door. So you can see that they are finally looking at forward to what looks like a bit of a rebuild situation in St. Louis. And uh, to that end, they have some draft capital. They have three potential first-round picks. One is conditional, so they'll look to be doing some damage at the trade de- trade the draft table early in uh, this upcoming June. And beyond that, they have still got a core of veterans. So I think they're well positioned to kind of try and retool on the fly should they choose to do so. Uh, their cap is not. Uh, Wildly out of whack, in my opinion, where they had the top forward on their rosters getting 6.5 million, top defenseman on their roster, 6.5 million. So really, they should have some flexibility, but uh, I think they'll be focused on the forward ranks because three defensemen on their roster getting 6.5 million for the foreseeable future in Justin Falk, Tori Krug, and Cold uh they, they were, there was some news that Pareko's name was in trade talks. I find that one, uh, Believable, plausible, because maybe they should try and shed one of the one of the contracts, and he might be the one that fetches the most since he's the youngest of the three and the biggest of the three players. So uh, I think you won't, you haven't heard the last of his name and trade rumblings, and uh, they have to address their goaltending situation a little bit too. I think uh, they they saw Jordan can take a step backward here. He's on the books for $6 million for the next four years beyond this one. But they've got to find an answer uh, backing up and maybe challenging for the top role because Thomas Grice is uh, an pending UFA with a 1250000 million. They're going to have to either give him a raise or find something better than that. And I think it'll be plan B in that regard for St. Louis.
1: Well, it's the Vancouver Canucks who opened up really uh, trade season going back to January 30th when they shipped Bo Horvat to the New York Islanders for a first-round pick, Anthony Bolivier, and Atu Ratti. They continued with um, some pretty uh, kind of minor shuffling here. They got Vitaly Kratzoff from the Rangers. I think that's a nice add for a player that really wasn't going to get into the lineup in New York. Um, they sent Luke Shen to Vancouver and essentially used that. Uh, spot to bring in Philip pronick from Detroit. I think that was an okay acquisition. I don't love it only because of his cap hit being 4.4 million. Uh, they sent Curtis Lazar to the devils uh, for a fourth round pick. So they kind of like fell in between. They did a little buying, nothing huge, a little bit of selling. They don't have second round picks in either of the next two drafts, but they do have some more further back and they still have all three of their first round picks over that stretch. So um, like I said, little selling, little buying for Vancouver. I would have liked, you know, I think they'll kind of be remembered for the deals that never happened. Uh, obviously, JT Miller was rumbled to be on, uh, on the trade block along with Brock Besser, two kind of big pieces for them, heavy cap hits for both of them. Besser under contract for two more seasons beyond this. Miller under contract for seven more seasons after this one. Um, for an extension that he signed, so either one of those would have been kind of hard for anybody to to take on. Um, but you know, you look at this blue line; I think it's pretty good. You add in Hrunic, you've already got Tyler Myers, Quinn Hughes. They've got a bunch of youngsters on the roster right now, um, but that's because on injured reserve you've got Oliver Ekman Larson, Ethan Bear, Travis Dermott. That's a pretty healthy six pack. Um, you could add in maybe Tucker Poolman could be in the mix if he's able to return. Or, uh, you know, uh, Noah Yulson, who's going to be an RFA. This is, I think, going to be a surprisingly good defensive unit. Yes, next year, assuming everybody can get healthy. Um, So then have they done enough in the forward ranks simply by keeping JT Miller, Brock Besser, uh, you know, bringing in Kratzoff. So we'll have to see. Obviously, they're focused on next season. But I think overall, they did some nice kind of middle ground business. They weren't full on sellers Um, but they weren't heavy buyers either. Well, I I credit the Vegas uh, club for adding Ivan Barbashev.
0: He's going to fit in on their first line. They're giving him a shot to play with Margeson and Eichel right now. So he comes in to bolster that offense, and they've used up most of their LTIR space. So that's the way you want to use that uh, situation if you can. Adding in uh, the likes of Jonathan Quick and the Nets, too, should stabilize the goaltending situation. I think he's going to be really a motivated player. And uh, a motivated guy with a Stanley Cup pedi- pedigree, that's a very dangerous comp- combination and a real asset to the mix in Vegas. Not to say that they haven't re- they haven't received good goaltending because they have uh, Logan Thompson, who's on the IR, carrying most of the load all season long, Aiden Hill contributing most recently, but uh, adding a player of Jonathan Quick's pedigree to, uh, to this team where you turn the per- only perceived weakness that I could have identified here into what looks like a positive, if he gets his head right and, and plays with the motivation that I would expect, this is going to be a team that's going to be a real tough out heading into the post-season. So uh, something to look forward to there.
1: For the Winnipeg Jets, another team that made just some quiet, small acquisitions, they bring in Nino Niederreiter and Vladislav Nemesnikov. I think these are both really good additions. I know Nemesnikov, bit of a down year, just 15 points, in 57 games, but you get him for a 2025 20, fourth round pick. That's a pretty good steal for a guy that you're probably going to put on your your third line here. Nino Niederreiter, they moved up to first uh, first line. He's got you know three points in his last three games, uh, so a really good start. You know, three points in four games for the Jets. Good start there. You get a second round pick for him, so they didn't give up any prospects. Uh, they didn't do a ton in terms of, you know, shuffling um, or giving away uh, picks here. If Rider's on the first line, then you've got Wheeler with Dubois and Ailers on the second line. You've got Nemesnikov, who does have, in the right setting, some goal-scoring pedigree on your third line, playing with Adam Lowry. I think these are nice tweaks for a playoff team. Will they pay off? You know, we'll have to see, but they're they're in the hunt here, so... Um, they, they did some good jobs just to kind of minorly tweak. I don't think they needed help on their blue line. They certainly don't need goaltending help um, with Connor Hellybuck there. So I, I personally, I like the moves that Winnipeg made. Well, that does it for our look in the Western Conference partner. Let's
0: take a pause to give our sponsors some airtime now. We'll be back with some news and notes from the Eastern Conference in the post-trade deadline era of this particular season. You're listening to RotoWire's podcast.
3: That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up.
0: All right, we're back, and uh, AJ, before we get you to do the weekly reminder, I just passed the trade deadline in my fantasy league, but it's one that is a Champions League with fellow members of the media, and we have a stipulation where we don't offer or invite trades as a possibility. You improve your roster by drops and ads, and that's it. And I kind of like that in the fantasy space. I've been in leagues in the fantasy world for season long where – uh, the trade deadline has has caused me to turn a Spocky an eye when some deals go down, it teams that don't, uh, aren't in contention. Sometimes just, just sit there and say, yeah, take whatever you want from my roster. It seems in what appear to be some lopsided deals. I wonder if you've been involved in any leagues like that before, but I certainly uh, like the thought of a, a fair trade committee in fantasy leagues. And I wonder where you stand on that whole environment and your experience with fantasy, the fantasy side of the trade deadline.
1: Yeah, I'm in a league that also doesn't allow trades. I, I don't love it um, just because, you know, I I want to give people the benefit of the doubt and that they'll have some integrity and not just... Uh, now, again, granted, if you're in a dynasty league and you're at the bottom of the standings and want to sell things off for future stuff, by all means, but in like a, you know, one-year redraft league, like I would hope that people have some integrity not to just make lopsided trades to help, you know, one person. So I I wish we could trade in our league. You know, there's some teams that are really stacked at the blue line and, you know, you maybe have an extra forward or something and you can make that that kind of deal work for both sides. I I wish we could do it personally. Um I give I like to give people the benefit of the doubt that we could, you know, be adults here and not just sell the farm in redraft leagues just to, you know, out of spite for being in the bottom. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, it's caused some issues in some leagues that I've been in, sadly. But I kind, I kind of like the idea of taking the, that out of the equation with people that I don't really know in in the environment that I find myself in it. And I'm happy to re- represent Rotowire with the success that I'm having. I, I'm in contention for the, for the flag here, so hope that I get a couple of good weeks out of my squad going forward. In any case, AJ, please send a weekly reminder out to our listeners how they can get in touch with us between now and the end of the year because drops and ads are still going to be allowed, uh, even though trades are not.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So if you are listening and you hate or love any of our takes that you've heard, uh, you are welcome to hit us up. Give us your opinion on the ads or subtractions for your team, what you think was good, what you think was bad, what you think we got wrong. You can hit us up at AJScholes24. And for Paul, you can reach him at Statsman22 over on Twitter course if you are interested in checking out rotowire head over to rotowire.com pod that's rotowire.com pod you can activate a 48 hour free trial of the website heading over there using that link all right partner now uh, let's
0: talk about how bad the boston ruins are i'll leave that up to you
1: good golly miss molly did this team figure out how to avoid just oh god let's uh, let's take the best team in the league right now and somehow figure out how to, well, maybe not make them better because of injury concerns, but they certainly avoided getting any worse. Um, So obviously I think the biggest news for Boston is that uh, Taylor Hall on long-term IR, Nick Foligno, regular IR, both guys, last I had seen uh, surgery, not completely off the table. It's possible that they could still need something there. So of course, Boston had to go out and address that issue, uh, losing those two guys. So they bring in uh, Tyler Bertuzzi as the big forward addition here. I think that's a great move for them to bring him over. Uh, Picked up an assist in his first game for them. uh, And I think he'll be a really solid piece. They've got him in a third-line role right now. I wouldn't be shocked to see him jump up a little bit higher there. Um, But, you know, they've they've got that flexibility. But eventually – you know, come postseason, they'll get Taylor Hall back. They'll get Nick Foligno back. Um, they also brought in uh, Garnett Hathaway, who will be a nice depth piece for them. Although when Hall and Felino are both back, there's a chance he could struggle to make the lineup. But, that, you know, that's not a bad 13th forward to have. And then, of course, Dmitry Orlov they brought in um, to add them, which means they've been rotating guys like Derek Forbert, Matt Kraselczyk, uh, you know, in and out of the lineup because they've got a wealth of defensive options now. And it really didn't cost them uh, too much, all things considered. They traded away Keith Kade and Craig Smith. Really, those were probably more cap uh, expenditures. They did have to give up first round picks in 2023 and 2024, a second round pick in 2025, um, and a handful of other picks here. So yeah, they, pay, they certainly paid a price to do it, but I think it was well worth it. And to be able to lose a guy like Taylor Hall, but simply replace him uh, with, you know, with Tyler Bertuzzi. If you're looking at the long-term future of this club, I guess you could have some concerns there. They don't have a first-round pick until 2025, and they don't have a second-round pick in any of the three next drafts. So really just one uh, first or second round pick in the next three years, none in the next two years. But ultimately, this is a team trying to win while the window is open with Bergeron and Marchand. And then their other big piece of business, uh, honestly, Paul was re-signing David Pasternak to a, uh, an eight-year, $90 million contract. We all knew this was going to be the future of the team here in the post bergeron Marchand era. That doesn't come as a surprise. So he gets uh, paid, a pretty hefty payday for him, but certainly worth it and uh, I think a good piece of business for them as well so all around a good couple of weeks for Boston uh, when you overlook the fact that they did lose Taylor Hall probably for most of the, the regular season it looks like
0: yeah I wonder if one of the, it's one of those deals where we'll see him suddenly activated before the playoffs begin and I know the, the league is starting to look at that with some Spocky and eyes wondering if the, the the teams are circumventing the intent of of that rule. So it's something that we might see addressed in the off season. So the monkeying around with LTIR might be look a little different next year, but uh, the cupboard is bare in terms of the draft prospects for the Bruins in the next couple of years. And they need to restock the shelves at center because they won't get Crecci and Bergeron back. So this is a team that's as all in as anybody. And I think they really nailed it with, with the additions that they made at the trade deadline. So, Heavy favorites for the Cup got uh, got uh, stronger, in my opinion, and uh, time will tell if, if it pays off. The Buffalo Sabres, you know what? A credit to this team in a different way, conducting a nice rebuild. They parlayed some excellent first round and first overall draft picks into assets that are central to the team's success going forward on defense. Consider they got two number ones in overall and Owen Power and Rasmus Galina, and they both look like the real deal. So uh, foes can look forward to that pair uh, in Buffalo colors for many, many years to come. And up front, they've got the towering Tage Thompson to, to build their offense around. But they added another giant at the trade deadline in Jordan Greenway, who's a bottom six-type player. And uh, coupled with Kyle O'Cose, who gives them a the rather imposing look on that fourth line uh, where uh, if people want to dance. They've got some partners on this roster and partners with an offensive upside, which is a rarity, too. So that's uh, the parts that I like about the Sabres. They didn't really cost themselves too much in terms of assets going out the door. They gave Rasmus Asplund uh, the exit sign and Andrews Bjork. These are two guys that have bounced around. They, despite the fact they have an offensive upside in their, in their toolbox, it really didn't show during their time in Buffalo, so they moved on. And it, they didn't really hurt their draft capital situation too, too much at all. In fact, it looks pretty positive uh, going forward. They have all their picks in the next three drafts. In the first uh, three rounds and they even added one a second rounder uh, next year this year too so uh, a team that's conducted a very nice rebuild should be able to get some more pieces but I think they're also trying to snap the longest playoff current playoff drought and uh, that's foremost in in Sabre fans minds and this team really has a shot when you consider that the second line uh, features a couple of guys Dylan Cousins, who has matured finally and parlayed that maturity into a long extension that he earned. But Jason, J.J. Paterka, Peyton Krebs getting third-line minutes now. They've seen top six minutes as well. The youth movement is on in Buffalo, and it's got good, very good early returns. And uh, nice to see Jeff Skinner rehabilitate his career last year and continuing to do so this year, proving himself as truly a, a frontline talent that still has lots of gas in the tank there as well.
1: In Carolina, they made just two pretty minor additions here. They brought in Jesse Pujarvi for a prospect, Patrick Pistola. a Pretty easy uh, move there for them. And then Shane Gosses-Bear for a 2026 third-round pick. I like both of these additions here. Gosses-Bear has seen a, a career resurgence uh, during his time in, in Arizona. It's been very good for him. He's got four points in two games with Carolina, and all of them – came with the man advantage here so clearly they saw a a big role for him with the power play and he is paying off well for them the fact that all they gave up was like a 2026 like you know who needs that pick (laughs) in in six years or three years whatever it is uh and then Puliarvi, look he's he's not under contract next season yeah technically an RFA um but he costs three. You have the space to, you know, add him at $3 million cap hit. If he works out, if the move it changes scenery is good for him, great. I think you'll look back and say it was a, you know, real solid addition. If he ends up sitting as a healthy scratch because he just can't make the grade, it's not the end of the world, right? You're not tied to him really beyond this season. So I like the additions that Carolina made. I think they definitely are better uh, on the blue line with uh, Shane Gostisbehere there which is saying a lot because this is a really good uh, blue line team with Brent Burns and Jacob Slavin, Brady Skay, Brett Pesci. Uh, So it's a really deep group. They made a minor tweak at forward. And so I think Carolina had a pretty good uh, deadline without having to be overly aggressive.
0: Um, In in terms of the Columbus Blue Jackets, AJ, a bit of a head scratcher for me in a couple of instances. Certainly they had to make a deal for Vladislav Gavrikov to to leave the organization. They got some good returns there. Trading away, Eunice Corpozalo leaves a bit of an opening in the nets behind Elvis Merce-Lincoln's that needs to be filled, because I can tell you firsthand, Michael Hutchinson (laughs) is not the answer there. Gustav Nyquist, formerly a veteran uh, of this club who was a top scorer for this team, they didn't really replace him with any assets coming in. Instead, they got two uh, minor league goalies back in, in deals, John Gillies and Michael Hutchinson. They acquired a first-round pick, a third-round pick, and then a couple of late-rounders. So all in all, rather an uninspiring trade deadline for Columbus. I guess if you want to look at this team and point to some positives, though, in the second half of the season, they've kind of unveiled Kent Johnson and Kirill Marchenko as two two guys who are destined to be top six forwards here of the future. They've had very nice runs respectively and Cole Sillinger is getting a bit of a run now uh, as a third line center but he's bounced around a little more than the other two in terms of his career trajectory so some negatives but some positives there and a big hole and that's uh, I also think they've got some work to do in terms of the defensive depth. Right now, Zach Wierenski is out a lineup really exposing the lack of depth here when you consider that it looks like Eric Goodbranson is the only veteran guy that I would trust uh, to put in any team's top four. And he's getting first pairing minutes, but Tim, Bernie, Nick Blankenberg, uh, Gavin, Bayreuther, these guys are, are really uninspiring options in the back end. So clearly for me, the focus has to be revamping and finding some, some people that want to play in Columbus on their blue line this offseason because they've got a lot of upgrading to do there and, as I said, in the backup goalie situation.
1: Well, Detroit offloaded um, some big pieces. They racked up a total of seven additional picks, including a pair of first-rounders as well as prospect Dylan McLaughlin. And uh, players headed the other way are Tyler Bertuzzi, who we mentioned about with Boston, Phil Pranik with Vancouver. Oscar Sundquist goes to Minnesota. And Jacob Vrana, I thought this was maybe one of their best trades, to be totally honest with you. They uh, send him to the Blues. They get Dylan McLaughlin, that prospect. They pick up a seventh-round pick for it. But Vrana was a guy that was just playing in the minors for them. They had buried him in the minors. They called him up couple of weeks ago uh, or a week or so ago to get some you know NHL time and they were able to parlay it into a move so I think that's a good a good bit of business for them there too so overall I'm sure the fan base was maybe a little frustrated um, Detroit was seemingly in the hunt for a wild card spot but they had a really rough weekend in which they lost back-to-back games to Ottawa. Um, And, you know, I think Steve Geiserman is a guy that has a plan and he's going to stick to it regardless of what may happen. Now they've got five picks in the first two rounds Um, next season. They've got a couple additional top picks after that. And so they're in a good spot for him to kind of continue to remake and mold this team. And they did all that while also signing Dylan Larkin to a long term uh, contract, eight year deal. For Larkin uh, came in at, uh, I think, just under $70 million for him. Uh, so they've got him locked up basically for the rest of the prime of his career. He'll be, I think, 34 when that contract expires. Um, so, uh, you know, a good weekend for them. Again, I know if you're a Detroit Red Wings fan, you might be a little disappointed that you thought you were maybe in the hunt and potentially would uh, buy at the deadline, but I think overall... Uh, the right decision was made to kind of offload some of these pieces that were, you know, that were desired on the market and get some value back for them to continue to build for the future. How would you like to be a fan of the Florida Panthers today, AJ? I
0: mean, last year they took the crown uh, with the president's trophy as the team with the team with the best record in the regular season. Then they got quickly bounced by their cross-state rivals. And then you look at their draft performance. They didn't really do anything. Sending anybody out or taking anybody in, and and now when we have discussions about maybe the worst contracts in the NHL, they may have two of them here on this roster. When you consider not only a Sergei Bukowski, goal uh, goals against hovering around three and the save percentage around ninety percent, which are pedestrian numbers for a guy with a ten million dollar cap hit for the ne- this year and the next several, then you look at Aaron Ekblad and he's been passed by a couple of teammates in terms of. The quality of their two-way work on the blue line here this season, he's a big minus on his uh, plus-minus record and has been beaten out in the scoring race by uh, at least one defensive and maybe two when you look at it. In fact, I'm correct. Gustav Forsling, 33 points. Brandon Montour, 51. And Ekblad with only 28 along with that minus 14. So guys who are supposed to be leaders on this club – not doing themselves any favors. And, and I think if they were in a, in a more heated uh, fan base, there would be a big revolt here. But I guess in Florida, they don't really care about hockey too, too much, at least in Sunrise part of Florida. Tampa's another story here. But uh, this is a team that hasn't got any first-round draft picks for the next three years, and the Canadians hold on to uh, their first-rounder in this draft, so Montreal can have potentially two top-ten picks in the NHL draft upcoming. We haven't talked about the Habs yet. In fact, you're, that's a lead-in for you to consider what you saw from the Montreal Canadiens at this trade deadline.
1: Yeah, pretty pretty quiet overall in terms of, you know, the, you could have potentially seen some more uh, m- more movement from from Montreal, some more pieces out the door, but they did trade Evgeny Dadunov. Again, I said they retained half of that deal or half of that contract just for this season, so not a big loss there. Uh, really, you know, this team's hard to evaluate when you consider the number of guys that they've got on injured reserve right now. You've got Sean Monahan, Paul Byron, Jake Evans, Brendan Gallagher, Cole Caulfield, Chris Weidman's coming back today, so they get one of those, Yuri Slavskoski. I mean, they just, so many injured guys uh, on this roster right now. It's hard to really evaluate where you are. Um, little surprise that maybe they didn't move out. Jonathan Druin, who's going to be a UFA. I would have thought he would have maybe had some uh, rental uh, value on the market. I know Joel Edmondson's name was linked. He had, he has another year on the deal, but I know he was linked to a potential move somewhere that didn't materialize. Um, They bring in Frederick Allard, Tony Sund, uh, a 2024 fifth round pick and Dennis Guryanov and traded away a, a couple other youngsters. So, I mean, really the big move here was to to get Dadinoff, uh and get some value out of him, which I, I think they did okay on that. Um, for their standpoint, like Guryanov, uh, you know, he'll be an RFA at the end of the year, so he'll still have uh, – they have some, you know, protection there about potentially losing him. They also might have to be the, you know, team that would have to pay him if he has a good finish to the season. So, um, yeah, overall I think Montreal's trade deadline was fine. I would have expected maybe a few more pieces sold off here. Um, But again, this team has just been so hampered by injuries. It's really hard to evaluate where they are, you know, beyond uh, beyond this season and and where they go from here. As you mentioned, Paul, they've got two first rounders next uh, this year. And so that'll certainly help them build out uh, some some prospect pool.
0: Yeah, their fans have to be disappointed, though, AJ, in the fact that they weren't able to move some of the guys that you mentioned. Uh, Kirby Dock's a guy that probably they, they will hang on to. But Sh- Sean Monaghan was a guy that they signed, took on his big salary to move him, and he continued to be an injury-riddled guy. So they're, they're saddled with that. And you mentioned Edmondson on the blue line. That was a missed opportunity, too. So while when I think about them, I look at what the Chicago did. And Montreal should have been in the same position today. But they have, I think, five... Less picks in, uh, in the upcoming drafts than Chicago does. They should have been at least the equal of the Hawks with some of the assets that they still have on that roster. So I give Montreal a failing grade at the trade deadline. And you might say that that's, that's just me talking uh, anti Montreal again, but I think I'll stand by that position. In any case, the New York, New Jersey Devils, this is a team that for my money might have the most dynamic top six uh, lineup among forwards, and they added to that mix by bringing in Timo Meyer, one of the key prizes of the trade deadline. So they've got Thomas Tatar, Dawson Mercer, and Nico Heischer on the one line, he, Jack Hughes, Jesper Bratt, and Timo Meyer on the second line. So they used to say about the Montreal Canadiens in their late 70s, when the game starts to just tell these guys to, gentlemen, start your engines, they might say the same thing with the Devils top six forwards here, and uh, you'd be hard-pressed to find a more talented group than that six-pack going forward. So congratulations to them for getting, I think, one of the signature pieces. They also had an, a nice piece in Curtis Lazar. I think you'll see this guy thrive in Jersey uh, as a, maybe a third-liner eventually. He's a, st- a few years removed from his best uh, efforts that I ever saw of him in junior hockey when he f- was Team Canada's captain, I won't forget the way he performed there, and I think he's got a chance to buy into this this uh, solid-looking squad and fill a role with a team that's got some upward trajectories. One of the very best clubs in the league, of course. Out the door, they lost a couple of guys that we've touched on already in Andreas Johnson and Fabian Zetterlund. I just want to sh- hear say Shakir Mukhamadulin uh, one more time before the end of this season. AJ, <laughs> defenseman who uh, they traded. Uh, has some pedigree, also some high draft capital paid out to get uh, the aforementioned Timo Myers. So they lose a first rounder and a second rounder and a fourth and a seventh uh, all in next season's dra- next year draft. But it's about a run for the cup this year. They've positioned themselves very, very well. And I think they have found, uh, the answer in the net will be Vita- uh, Vitek Vanisakos had an outstanding season, uh, ranking among the top 10 easily in my mind in, in goalies this year and solidifying the net uh, when. It could have been a real real trouble spot, but the injury concerns that they've seen with Mackenzie Blackwood, they'd like to see him get healthy, but right now he's on the IR. So Vaneshek will they'll have to manage his use, usage, I think, going forward. And so you might see a little more of Akira Kira Schmidt uh, in the remaining part of the schedule here to give Vanacek that to time that he needs to, to stay strong and uh, be at his top of his game.
1: Well, as I mentioned, the New York Islanders made their move very early, January 30th, when they brought in Bo Horvat, um, they gave up first-round pick, Anthony Bolivia Aturati, as I mentioned before. They did make a relatively minor uh, move. They brought in Pierre Engvall from your Maple Leafs for a 2024 third-round pick. Actually, as of right now, it looks like they've got Engvall on the top line playing with Bo Horvat and Anders Lee. Uh, so really a, a good um, good okay piece of business obviously the biggest problem they ran into is that they traded for uh traded for borough Horvat, and then almost immediately lost matthew barzell uh to an injury so that was kind of their biggest blow here um but you knew they weren't going to be super active today they went out they got one of the biggest fish on the market early uh and grabbed him uh you maybe you know maybe they were in on a few more conversations but I have to imagine that was pretty much going to be the move that they made uh, right there, and and go from there. So, uh, just one you know deadline week acquisition in Pierre Engvall, but other than that, a pretty quiet February for the New York Islanders.
0: Well, the New York Rangers were one of the key uh, big movers here uh, before the trade deadline. Uh, they acquired Tarasenko from from St. Louis. They added to the offense again with Patrick Kane. Uh, finally making a decision to uh, to leave Chicago and the Rangers finally being able to work out the deal that would net him that asset and uh They paid handsomely to to get those two pieces in. But, again, this is a team that's loaded for bear. And that first-round matchup against New Jersey is going to be a war, I think, in terms of the offensive firepower that they can throw against one another, but also the fact that I think that both teams can play a little defense too. So I'm kind of looking forward to that matchup as one of the most exciting and compelling ones in the first round beyond another one that I have a a bit more of a rooting interest, let's say.
1: (laughs) Well, over in Ottawa, they uh, secured the, the kind of big defenseman fish. Jacob Chishren comes in. Uh, they had to do some finagling. They essentially sold Nikita Zaitsev's contract uh, to the Chicago Blackhawks. They traded Zaitsev a 2023 second-round pick and a 2026 fourth-round pick for future considerations. Um, so uh, basically they just said, hey, uh, if we give you some picks in Zaitsev, uh, would you take it? Chicago said yes. That gave them an additional $4.5 million in cap space. Then they brought in Jacob Trishan, who will cost $4.6 million against the cap. So, really, uh, a one for one kind of from their perspective there. Uh, they had to give up, as I mentioned, a first round pick, a conditional second round pick that could uh, in 2024 that could potentially move into a first round pick, as well as one more 2026 second round pick in order to make that deal work. And then they also added bottom six forward Patrick Brown from the Flyers. They get him for a 2023 sixth round pick. I think that's a, a really fair acquisition for them. Uh, so, yeah, Ottawa, you know, they've got they've got a lot of talent along, you know, the front end of this lineup. Brady Tichuk, Tim Stutesley, Claude Giroux, Jake Batherson, Shane Pinto, Alex Debrinkat, a really solid top six there. And so bringing in Jacob Chishorin, now you've got Shabbat and Chishorin. Of course, you've still got Jake Sanderson, Artem Zub, Travis Hamanick. Uh, Honestly, I think the biggest problem with this team is probably net-minding. Cam Talbot uh, was rumored at one point to be a potential trade uh, move. He unfortunately picked up an injury uh, just recently, so maybe that was already there. But I, I think that's relatively new. Matt Sogard has looked okay um, for, for them with with Cam Talbot. But yeah, if there's a weakness on this team, I, I actually think it's goaltending right now. Um, I like the addition of Tishrin, the fact that you were able to basically offload a player in Nikita Zaitsev who was probably doing more harm than good on the roster in general, not to mention the cap hit there was astronomically high for what he offers um, on the ice. And in Philadelphia,
0: AJ, they didn't do a heck of a lot. Uh, maybe their hands were tied a little bit, but They could have at least moved uh, JVR's contract, $7 million cap hit for a guy who could help a lot of teams in their their, uh, second and third lines, I think. They failed to move him. So it was a rather uninspiring trade deadline. They did pick up Brendan Lemieux. I guess that's the only name recognition guy coming in. And going out the door were Patrick Brown, Zach McEwen, and Isaac Radcliffe, a prospect of... uh, very, very little is known about this guy, actually. So now the residual effect on Philadelphia is they've got they've got a very poor defensive team, and yet they've tied up about $20 million in a quartet, more than $20 million, in the following four defensemen. Ivan Proberov, Rasmus Ristalina, Anthony D'Angelo, and Travis Sandheim, who might be the best of the lot, starts a... a an extension of five years with a 6.25 million dollar cap hit next year. So you can see they've got a lot of money tied up on that blue line, and I'm not too excited about what Rasmus Ristolainen brings to the table. Tony Anthony D'Angelo has had a checkered past, and Ivan Provorov certainly nowhere near the six worth the 6.7 five that he's being paid. So uh, again, I think we're going to be talking about defensive woes for this team. In addition to goaltending uncertainty uh, with Carter Hart, uh, still not living up to his advanced billing. Maybe it's because the team just can't put a a very stout defense out in front of them.
1: All right, Paul, we finally made it. We're at the (laughs) Pittsburgh Penguins. I will try not to rant and rave for the next hour. Um, (laughs) The problems for the Penguins started with the first deal they made. They brought in Mikael Granlund. Here's the problem with Mikael Granlund: one, he's been on diminishing returns. Um, you know, hasn't been uh, as good as he once was the last couple of years. The things Pittsburgh didn't need: a player who is over 30, who wasn't fast, uh, who wasn't big, and who carried significant cap hit beyond this year. Mikael Granlund is literally the opposite of that. He's 31. <laughs> He's relatively short. I don't even think he's six feet tall. Um, and beyond this season, yeah, he's, he's 5'10. Um, he is going to carry a, a $5 million cap hit for two more years beyond this one. Like this deal was uh, to be completely blunt, just dumbfounding. I have no idea why Ron Hexall went out and got Miko Granlin other than the longstanding theory that he, is a flyer's plant to ruin the organization. Um, that is the only one that comes to mind. Bring in uh, Dmitry Kulikov. I don't really know that we needed another defenseman, but Kulikov is at least a big guy. Uh, he's, you know, 6'1". He's not huge, but six 6'1". Uh, they got him for relatively cheap on the cap. Uh, his uh, cap hit was maintained, or half of his cap was held uh, by, by the Ducks here. So he's cheap against the cap. But all you're doing is bumping Pierre Oliver-Joseph from the lineup. I don't really know that you want a young 23-year-old defenseman sitting on the bench. Um, So not really sure why we needed another defenseman. Uh, I do like the addition of Nick Bonino. They didn't give up a lot for him. Uh, He was, you know, he knows the team. He knows the organization. He's a penalty killer. Uh, Some things that they'll need, a bottom, you know, bottom uh, six, Forward, But again, he's he's also 34. So this team gave up Teddy Bluger, who's relatively young, um, Brock McGinn, who they had to stash in the minors for, you know, a couple of days because they needed the cap space to get Mikael Granlund for some reason. And um, they, you know, got a return on a guy that they had put on waivers and passed through waivers. Uh, so I guess getting something out of him makes sense. But uh, the Penguins have gotten older. They've gotten slower. They've gotten themselves in a worse cap position than they were before. Uh, I I really dislike the moves that were made by Ron Hextall at this trade deadline. Uh, I am not normally one to call for, you know, coaches of the teams I like or general managers to be uh, let go. I'm usually one to give the benefit of the doubt. Let's ride it out. Let's see where this goes. If we have to do it, we have to do it. But this was an abysmal trade deadline, in my opinion, Uh, it started by Granlin. If it was Granlin just for this year, for one year, for five mil, and you thought maybe a change could help him, he could offer something, uh, I I could maybe get over that. But the fact that you're tied to this guy for two more years at $5 million, it's going to make it really hard to re-sign Jason Zucker next year, which is a guy that we absolutely need. Um, it, It just dumbfounding, honestly. This trade deadline was dumbfounding. Um, and I do think it's time for somebody at Fenway Sports Group to come out and uh, say something about this team. That's problem number one. But what they should specifically say is that Ron Hexall will no longer be serving as the GM because he should not be running this team anymore. Okay, get off the pulpit and let me talk for a <laughs> Feel better? A little bit, a little bit. Okay. All right. Well,
0: let me talk about two foes that will be matching up in the Eastern Conference first round. I think it's a crying shame that they will. First, the Tampa Lightning, they bring in Mikey Eismont and, of course, Tanner Genoa, the latter piece coming from Nashville and costing Tampa a boatload of, of draft capital. So stripping the future cupboards bare, we'll start there where they have only one second round pick total in the next three years of the NHL draft. And beyond that, they, they only have a sixth and two sevenths this upcoming June in the draft. So maybe they won't even send anybody to the NHL draft site because they won't have much to do for most of that. But uh, that just tells you that Tampa's trying to extend their window of opportunity by making the acquisitions that they did. And uh, they're they're all in right now. This might be their last best chance to win it all. And so they figured they needed to, to add another Uh, menacing physical presence, I think they have plenty here. They're the dirtiest team in the league, in my opinion, A.J., and they added another guy who will be a very physical force there. So it's pretty clear to me the recipe that they think they're going to have to use to advance here beyond a a starting six up front. uh, That's, again, one of the deepest and most talented in the league. When you get to the bottom six here, it's going to be a minefield of very physical players that will rough you up. Uh, shift in and shift out so that's the game that they're taking of course there's a little fly in the ointment right now with uh, the status of Victor Hedman uh, their hulking defenseman took a, a bad hit into the boards over the weekend and not too much is known about how he's feeling it is something of a minor back injury and they have ruled out anything too serious at least thus far but he isn't playing in tonight's game so that's a telling thing for me as well. And wonder if they might be better advised to make sure that their big defenseman is totally healthy for the upcoming playoffs. because while they did make those moves, I don't think I'm, if I were uh, to be uh, judging their blue line beyond him and Mikhail Sergachev, they haven't got too much in the way of imposing defensemen that I'd be worried about. Certainly big physical presence in Eric Cernak, who's coming into big money starting next year, but Nick Perbix, Zach Vogosian. Hayden Fleury and Ian Cole, none of them scare me. And uh, and so I, I'm really feeling optimistic as a Leaf fan that that uh, this team could be had this year. But uh, still, that imposing top six remains. Brandon Hagel, I still can't believe that they were able to get this guy in the fold from Chicago. And he's fit in like a glove alongside Sorelli and Killorn to form a very prominent second line behind a stellar first unit in Brayden Point, Point. And the heart and soul of this club for me is Nikita Kucherov and Steven Stankos on the wings. there. These guys are their unquestioned leaders, and you know they're going to bring the emotion and fire this club up to play above their skill level. And they're going to need to do that because they're playing a very skilled club in the first round in the Toronto Maple Leafs. And the Leafs were one of the busiest teams at the trade deadline. AJ, when we talked about Ryan O'Reilly, we thought, okay, they've got a guy to stretch the roster and play third-line center minutes. Well, it confuses me to no end that they brought him in and they moved John Tavares to the wing. Tavares has never played wing except for when he was on Team Canada. And and then, to further conf- uh, confound me, doesn't, doesn't O'Reilly go and get injured as well now? And He broke a finger, and the uh, early indications are that he will miss much of the rest of the regular season at a time when he should be getting acclimatized here. But look, we're talking about a guy who was a Smythe trophy winner. He knows what's going on when the playoffs come around and the chips are down. But I just would like to get him some reps in a third-line role with some of the guys that he would be playing with on a regular shift. Now, you took a shot at at at, uh, Pittsburgh's GM, I'm going to take a shot at the Maple Leafs coach here because they really missed an opportunity to get this guy settled in in a third-line center role and keep Tavares as a second-line center role. The big advantage that they have against other clubs would be the depth at center, and so they messed with that, and they've got an injured player to boot. But at least they can couple all that with the fact that they bolstered their physicality on this roster. They added Sam Lafferty. They added Luke Shen. They added Jake McCabe. So they've added some pieces there here that are very physical in nature and should make it a little more of a fair fight when it comes to playing some of the more physical clubs around here, uh, the league, and uh, they did it with some some flair because they didn't really strip themselves of draft picks. They lost a the first-rounder, but they acquired a first-rounder in a trade that saw Rasmus Sandin go to Washington. So that was a bit of uh, good business in my estimation. I know Sandin has filled his stat sheets for in his first two games with Washington, but uh, let's see what he does over an entire season there behind uh, when he doesn't get first-pairing minutes, due to the fact that John Carlson is, is out of the lineup here. So uh, jury's out on him still, in my opinion. A guy who lacked in physicality, and uh, they had far too many players like that. I, I like the look of the bottom six here now. When, when you throw them up against Tampa, you're going to see more physicality coming from the Maple Leafs than they have shown all season long. And the way they're going to line it up, it looks like Achary. And Zach S. and Reese are going to be planking David Kampf right now. Pontus Holmberg and Alex Steves are, are up for the minors. And, again, I'm confused by the way that they're handling Michael Bunting. They're giving him a fourth-line role here now where Alex Kerfoot, uh, who has been MIA all season long, surprisingly, playing first-line minutes here. And the coach says, oh, Kerfy's been playing great. I've watched every second of every game. He's not playing great. I don't know whose pictures he's got here, but but that makes move makes no sense. And they're talking about bunting on the eve of signing maybe a long term extension with this club, and now looking as a fourth line winger, I'm a little bit confused. There, partner.
1: All right. Well, I will uh, first bring up the fact I you subtly threw it in there, Paul, and I'm not going to let you get away with it. You said about how oh, it's a travesty that Toronto and Tampa are going to be playing each other because you like to blame. The uh, the division standing breakdown, well, as I look again, if we were doing a one through eight in the Eastern Conference, still Toronto playing Tampa. In fact, all of those matchups remain the same uh, in a one through eight as they would for the division standing version. So I'm going I'm to keep hitting you with that, Paul. Make it one to 16, and then we'll see what happens. That's what it <laughs> should be. <laughs> uh, I think there'd be some travel issues with that one, honestly. No, like No problem. Be, Hard to figure out. Uh, No, I hate that idea. Looks like Pittsburgh would pay Boston. I don't, I don't (laughs) want to do that. Although yeah, they're actually that. Yeah. Pittsburgh would play Boston in every single one of these scenarios. (laughs) I'm not looking forward to that, but all that to say they'd be playing anyway. Uh, So let's uh, let's look ahead to the Washington capitals. Look, it, it was weird, Paul. I'm sure it was weird for you too, to see the Washington capitals as sellers at the deadline here, but you know, there's no other way around uh, around what they did here. They're sitting sixth. Uh, let's see. They're only three points back of the Penguins in terms of the final wild card spot. But Pittsburgh does have three games in hand. And you've got complications in between them. You've got Florida, Ottawa, and Buffalo all six, sitting with 68 points right now. So not surprising to see them as sellers, but are not it's understandable to see them selling based on where they are. It's just surprising to see them in that position. This is a team that we don't normally consider, you know, at the start of the year, I think very few people would have said, ah, they probably won't make the playoffs and there'll be sellers at the deadline. I don't think you'd have a lot of people that would have said that they traded away. Lars Eller uh, to Colorado, Eric Gustafson, Garnett Hathaway, Marcus Johansson, Dimitri Orlov as well. Um, so a lot of pieces going out the, out the other way here, as I said, they get a second round pick for Lars Eller. I think that was a really good piece of business there, uh, for them, you know, Paul, you mentioned the Sandine deal. I overall, I think maybe a good move, although a little surprise, they're willing to give up a first as part of that, um, from their side of it. I think, you know, Toronto picking up a first round pick good on them. Uh, they get a third round pick for Marcus Johansson. And then obviously the Hall of Picks and Craig Smith in the in the Boston deal here. So overall, um, you know they they sold, they added. Uh, you know Smith will be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year, so they don't have to worry about his contract. There was uh, a ton of speculation that Trevor Van Riemsdyk was going to be moved, uh, and a deal supposedly had been in place for him to go to Detroit, but uh, that. Seemingly fell through. I haven't followed up to see if there's any more information on why that fell through. Um, could this team still make the playoffs? Certainly as possible. Anytime you have o- Alexander Ovechkin, they're in the hunt here. They've been getting pretty good net mining um, from Darcy Kemper, but yeah, just weird to see them as sellers at the deadline here. Connor Sherry was another name that I had seen potentially linked to a move because he's going to be a UFA at this year. At the end of this year, and could have been a really cheap ad. I mean, 1.5 mil is a cap hit to begin with. If Washington had retained some of that salary, could have been uh, even lower there for for them. So, uh, yeah, just overall, uh, you know, they retained salary on the on Eller and Orlov, neither one of whom they will have to pay beyond this season. So, a good work by them there. They brought in some some capital, a really good player in Rasmus Sandin, uh, and so we'll see where it takes them. It would be just bonus, right, for at this point. After being sellers, if they do happen to make the playoffs, that would be a nice little bonus uh, for, for the Capitals after selling off.
0: All right, so that takes you through all the transactions and player movement that uh, happened before and during the, uh, the days before the trade deadline. So with that said, now we'll swing into our DFS segment for Tuesday's schedule of games. AJ, why don't you lead us off with a look at your DraftKings lineup for tonight's action.
1: Well, look. I ranted and raved about the Penguins' moves, um, but the fact of the matter is that tonight they're playing at home against Columbus. Um, if they lose this one, I may be in a market for a new TV. Um, but uh,
0: they—they're
1: uh, going up against the the Columbus Blue Jackets, who are allowing three point seven zero goals per game, and so that has me stacking. That first line for the Penguins. It starts with Sidney Crosby at 7,100. He's been playing really well. A lot of shots on net for Crosby of late, so I think that's good. Jake Gunsell, 7,300, is in a bit of a goal-scoring funk right now, but I think he should be able to get out of that playing Columbus. And then Ricard Raquel just going for the full um, first-line stack here. I, I think it's poised to be a big night for these guys. Raquel, 42 points in 62 games. Again, another player in a bit of a goal drop, but plenty of shots. Um, So it's been eight games without a goal, 23 shots. So you're talking, um, what, almost three per game. Uh, And I think this is a good opportunity here. So I went with them. I mentioned Lars Eller uh, getting moved to Colorado. He comes in at just 2,600 here, uh, playing a third-line role. So he doesn't have a ton of value around him. The points have been pretty dry Um, But I think it's an opportunity. Again, they're playing at home against San Jose. So, you know, if you're going to spend up more than 7K for both Crosby and Gensel and a few other pricey players I have in my lineup, you got to find some cheap options. And I think Eller is a good possibility based on that home matchup with the Sharks. My other winger was also a pretty decent spend here. 6,500 for Andrei Svechnikov. Great matchup tonight going up against Montreal. Svechnikov has looked really good. Um, So I think he should continue to roll for them. He's got uh, 11 points in his last eight games. And the last time he played Montreal, which was just about, quick math, about three weeks ago, uh, he had three helpers. So I think this is a good opportunity for some more points from him. I'm going to stick with that tune and that theory and go with Brent Burns for 6,400. Again, another player that's been really hot, um, getting plenty of power play minutes. There's a chance I think about flipping him for Gossips Bear. I'm going to stick with Burns for now. Gossips Bear would come in cheaper, um, but I'm going to stick with Burns for the time being as I build out this lineup. But if I went down, I could maybe spend up somewhere else. My other blue liner is going to be Timothy Lilligren for your Toronto Maple Leafs. A tough matchup tonight, but with uh, Tavares out and... um, uh, some other, uh, both Tavares and O'Reilly out. Luke Shen is still away from the team right now uh, while his wife is, uh, a, you know, they're waiting a, a baby there. It's Lil, Lilgren that's going to be on the number two power play unit. It's not a great assignment. Obviously, being with the number one unit would be better. Um, but to get a few power play minutes, I, I, I think, could help. And he's only 3,200, so a cheap option there. My other utility spot, I'm going to use Jasper Fast, 2,500. Just strictly playing straight matchup in this one. Fast uh, hasn't had a great season. He's on a third line that's relatively decent. Uh, numbers haven't been great of late. But again, I point to that last matchup with Montreal. He picked up an assist in that game. And so I think uh, you're playing matchup for for a bottom price tag guy. And then between the pipes, I went with Tristan Jari tonight. He's been uh, iffy, I'll, I'll say, uh, at points this season. But again, It's a matchup with Columbus, and you're not paying the highest price tag on the board. Uh, You know, Georgiev and and Anderson come in higher. Uh, Even Grubauer comes in a little bit higher. So fourth most expensive guy, but the guy, I think, with the best matchup here. So that's how I built out my lineup. Went pretty heavy in the Penguins uh, and Hurricanes as kind of a stack here tonight.
0: AJ, I went a little bit different route than Carolina was the team that I featured in my my uh, roster building. I've got four guys from that in, in my lineup. I uh, started off with Sebastian Ajo over the past month. He has been uh, next to Conor McDavid, the most prolific scoring center, uh, and he costs only $7,500 And ahead of a tasty matchup at Montreal where the Canadians are just playing out the string. And Carolina, one of the top teams in the league, it's the biggest disparity on the ice tonight, I think. And then uh, combining him with Robert Thomas in St. Louis, you might be surprised that I picked the St. Louis uh, team. But then again, it's matchup driven. They're against Arizona. And the price tag on Thomas, their first line center, comes in at only $5,900. It's been a pretty good first line unit. And that's because Thomas has formed a very good partnership with Pavel Buknevich, who's my most expensive winger on tonight's slate, $7,100 the price tag, but he's been delivering for weeks now in that role, and I expect this to be an opportunity for him to continue that stretch. I'm with you on including at least one Pittsburgh Penguin in tonight's roster, uh, and that's Jake Gensel for me. Priced at $6,700, you get one of the top snipers in the NHL And uh, he's overdue to break out, and I guess he's got a great chance, as good as any, on the slate when you consider the opposition to be Columbus at home. So he should get a lot of favorable offensive zone starts there, and the numbers should should reflect that. Then my defense, I kind of punted on this position a little bit, but I do get a couple of guys who are first pairing guys, AJ, but not the guys that you might expect when you consider that first-line assignment. I'm going to go with Jacob Slavin for Carolina. He's going to be on the ice for upwards of 23, 24 minutes, and I think Carolina's in for a lot of offense tonight, so he'll, he should pick up a point or two just by hanging around with some of the pr- prolific offensive pieces that they have there, and he's still one of the best defensive defensemen in the league, so you can get a few blocked shots out of him as well. Ditto for Alec Martinez in the block sh- shot department for Vegas. Forty-six hundred dollars—the price tag there for a guy who's going to be playing with Alex Pietrangelo and uh, getting a look uh, at upwards of twenty minutes against a team that's really flagging defensively in terms of the Florida Panthers. And so I like that situation combining the two defensemen for $9,400 and getting about 45 minutes of playing time between them. Then I go back to Carolina for their first line winger, Toivo Tarabainen, who came off an explosion of offense most recently punctuated by a hat trick on the weekend, only priced at $5,600 a bargain here uh, considering that recent scoring streak and the opposition in Montreal. And then finally look at Calgary's in must win territory and they got a a dramatic win in overtime last night after it looked like they blew their game. But uh, they have a second half of a tough back-to-back. They should be sky-high after that after that win last night. And I look for Jonathan Huberdeau to lead them. He's only costing $4,900. He's a year removed from being a 115-point player. He won't get anywhere near that. In, fi- in fact, he's in a dogfight to get half that total, A.J., but i like the matchup for him tonight at that price tag and i think that buoyed by the experience of the club last night they should he should be feeling good and ready to produce again. Then in the Nets, I'm going for an easy matchup, and regardless of which goalie starts for Carolina, the price tag is $7,900. I've got the Freddie Anderson pe- pencil in there, and if he plays, he could very well shut out the Habs. So there's the uh, that added incentive to put uh, Freddie in your lineup or any Carolina goalie. They stand to do very, very well, maybe limit the goals against and produce a pretty nice game score, even though they won't get a ton of shots. So that's it uh, for for the DFS portion of the show. AJ, I'm going to make you happy by saying in the, f- in the final weeks of our schedule, we're not going to talk too much about the teams that are out of contention. We're going to focus our attention on the playoff-bound clubs. We have some compelling matchups uh, still at races on both sides of the ledger, but even though a couple of the, the playoff pairings are already set. But have you got any final thoughts? Uh, you really don't want to see a 1-16, to I guess.
1: Uh, no, no, I think, you know, I, it's intriguing. Like it's a really interesting idea. Um, but when you like try and think about the, the problems with that, uh, you know, you've got, uh, shoot, let me just see. I want to see if there's any, uh, egregious match matchups that would pop off right away. That would be, I mean, New Jersey to Colorado, that wouldn't be awful, but it's not ideal. Um, I mean, Seattle and New York. No, it'd be Dallas and Seattle. Yeah, maybe it wouldn't work out too bad for travel. I think you could fall into a situation where you'd have some pretty difficult travel uh, considerations with, you know, the the format for the playoffs. I think you would almost have to consider going to the more NBA style. The um, what? Two, what do they two. do? The like three or two three two or whatever. Yeah um you'd have to go to that which I don't really love for the uh home team it's like you lose one of those first two games you've immediately completely lost home ice advantage you may not ever get back at home so uh how about again, this how about this let me let me throw
0: this at you what about if you give the the team with the higher seed the option of going two three two or keeping at the status quo so they have the option to do something about the travel issue or not and uh I think that would add some intrigue, too, to the playoff matchups in those cases where let's say the rule of thumb has to be if you're separated by two time zones or more, the top seed
1: gets that option. Uh, I think you're making this too complicated to be totally (laughs) blunt for you. Um, in, In part, you know what, though, seriously, in part because you're talking about, you know, TV schedules and wanting to get that on there. You know, you only have a limited amount of time between when the season would end and when you would know who would get to make that decision and then how long do you give them to make that choice? And then you have to build the lot build, uh, the playoff and TV schedules around differing systems. Um, I, I honestly think it's a little too complicated. Look, and I I like to give you a hard time because you immediately blame the current system for why the <laughs> Leafs and the lightning are going to play each other. But, um, I I do overall, I've generally been more of a one through eight kind of guy. I thought I I think it would uh, create some really good uh, matchups. I, I, you know, as you've said, a lot of times we see the same couple of teams playing uh, in the, you know, in the first round there. But uh, I don't think it makes as big of a difference as some people. I'm not saying you do this, but some people say like, this is the worst playoff format in the history of, you know, sports, whatever. And it's like, it's not making any difference. <laughs> so what does it matter? Um, so I don't know. That's, that's why I like to give you a hard time about it um, because it, it sometimes, you know, we'll see at the end. I I'll, I'll love to see. We checked on it a couple of weeks ago when you brought it up and it was the same. It's the same again. Now we'll see how it looks uh, in another month and a half here and, and see if it actually would have made any sort of difference or not.
0: All right, we'll leave it there. And, uh, folks, we thank you for listening to an extended version of our Rotowire's podcast with Statsman and AJ. As always, we remind you that we're here to help you with your fantasy hockey enjoyment, and we encourage you to send your comments or questions on Twitter. You can follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22, and you can follow AJ at AJScholes24. So long, everybody. We'll see you next week.